Well, in the year before Liz and I moved down from, uh, from Townsville to Brizzy to go to, to, go to QTC, uh, Townsville experienced one of its worst floods in history. It rained for about two weeks straight to the point where the dam peaked at 250%. Now, I'm not smart enough to know how that's actually possible, but I'm, ass you know, I'm assured that it did. It did. It reached 250%. And as the water was rising across the city, I remember the mayor jumping on the radio and telling the city that because it had rained so much, that they'd lost all ability to control the water. If you've ever been in that position, uh, you know that's a really scary thing to hear, that the dam built to protect your city from flooding had lost its ability to control the water. Over the next 12 hours or so, 3,000 homes flooded, uh, two people were sadly killed and another was never found. But what the mayor said that day has stuck with me. We've lost all control of the water. That's a pretty strong reminder that we're not in control of the environment and we're not in control of the world around us. As much as we may try, we can't stop the water. We can't stop the suffering and the heartbreak, uh, the brokenness in the world around us as much as we may try because we're not in control. But this part of the Bible, our passage today, shows us exactly who is. In Revelation 6 and 7, we see God pulling back the curtains on history and giving us a look at what is really going on in the world around us. And it's going to help us to make sense of the evil, uh, the mess and the brokenness that we see. Today in our passage, we're going to see that uh, the suffering and the pain that we see in the world is God's just judgment being poured out. We're going to see that God remains firmly in control of his world and that God has sealed and protected his own people through it. This part of the Bible actually offers us so much hope and encouragement in these times. So let's jump into the passage today and let's see that together. Uh, the first thing that we're going to see is that God remains firmly in control as he pours out his judgment on the world. And we're going to see that Revelation 6 shows us that God is using uh, the sin and the evil of the world to bring about his judgment and plan of salvation. Please follow along from uh, chapter 6, verse 1, which reads, which reads, which reads <laughs> I'll get it out. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. So last week we heard that John saw in this vision uh, that Jesus had a scroll. The scroll had seven seals and that Jesus was the only one worthy to open the scroll and read its contents. We also heard that the scroll contained God's plan for history. This means his plan for redemption, for salvation, and for his judgment on the world. And so in verse 2, we see Jesus open the first seal on the scroll, which means the plan is being executed. He's setting the plan in motion. God's plan of judgment is underway. And so we see a white horse bringing forth warfare and conflict into the world. Now the second seal is opened in verse 4 as we read. Another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Now if the white horse brought war and conquest, it makes sense that, the, uh, makes sense that bloodshed would follow. When there is war, there is no peace. There's death. There's bloodshed. But did you notice where each of the horses were given their power from? It was Jesus. 
John wants us to know that Jesus is firmly in control here, and it's God's plan to use human sinfulness to bring about his judgment on the world. It's the Romans 1.18 to 32 idea where God's wrath is poured out on humanity by giving people over to their sinful desires and their depraved minds. God is bringing his judgment on the world by allowing human sinfulness to run its course. It's not some a strange demonic force at play here, but he's allowing God humanity to head down its sinful, broken path. But it's important that we understand God's judgment on us in light of humanity's rejection of him. Right back in the garden in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve decided they knew better than God. And they chose their own way. In rejecting God and choosing to sin, uh, they brought God's anger and wrath on humanity. And for human history, we've turned our backs on God and we've done incredibly evil things to one another, which we see around us in our world today and throughout history. And so God, being a holy God and a just God, He can't leave sin unpunished. He wouldn't be good and he wouldn't be worth following if he didn't deal with sin. And so it's this anger and wrath being poured out here in Revelation 6. As we read on in verse 5, we see Jesus open the third seal. We see a black horse. Uh, The scales and price of wheat and barley show this horse uh, bringing famine. A denarius was the average day's wage in the first century, so people would work hard for little food. We've seen war, bloodshed, and famine. In verse 8, the fourth scroll is open, and John says, There before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, Hades refers to the realm of the dead, so this horse brings with it death. Here we see God has allowed human wickedness to bring about bloodshed for man to kill man. We see death in the world because man has rejected God and said, we're going to do it our way. But again, we're reminded that God is in control. We see restraint as God only allows a quarter of the earth here to be affected. We're four from seven scrolls in here and things are looking pretty ordinary, aren't they? And as we work our way through the scrolls, I think it's important uh, to understand that we don't necessarily need to read these like they're happening in chronological order, as if they're happening one after the next. Uh, The events that the horsemen have brought forward have happened throughout history. They've happened many times in the past, they're happening now, and they will happen in the future. These are the kind of things that we read about uh, in our news feeds and, and we see in the paper and on TV, the horrible events, the evil in our world today. So we read on in verse 9, we see that Jesus opens the fifth seal. And John says, He saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Even followers of Jesus are going to be caught up in this judgment. Some have been killed for following Jesus. They're martyrs. They cry out to God in verse 10. It says, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Verse 11, then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. This is a call for divine justice. It's a call for God to act. It's a cry for God to deal justly with those who have persecuted his people. And we see that it's not a matter of when God will act, sorry, if God will act, but it's a matter of when. 
God responds by giving them uh, white robes in verse 11, which marks them off as special and symbolizes their innocence and their purity. It points to their salvation and their security. And we're going to think about that a little bit more as we jump into chapter 7. But we're told here that more Christians are going to suffer. And this will end when the right number of followers of Jesus have been killed. But he does give them certainty that this final judgment is coming. Which we see in verse 12 when the sixth seal is open. It reads, There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. In verses 12 to 15, we see a history coming to an end as God brings his final judgment and justice down upon the world. This is a final judgment playing out here. The end has come. The sun goes black. The moon turns to blood. The stars fall. The skies rolled up. The mountains and islands are removed. People try to hide from God, from his wrath, and they try to hide from the Lamb. We see that in verse 15. But rather than face God's judgment, they ask for a violent death. Verse 16, they call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They would rather have mountains fall on them than face the judgment of God. That gives us a picture of the dread and horror that God's judgment brings. We see in verse 17 that those who are unrepentant and remain enemies with God know how terrible God's wrath is and that enemies of God cannot stand. Friends, we see God's wrath pouring out on the world here. and It's meant to be scary. It's meant to be hard because this is the anger of a righteous and perfect God on a people who have rejected him and acted in all sorts of wicked and horrible ways. But as, but as we've seen, even in the mess and the brokenness of our world, God remains firmly in control as he pours out his judgment. It's, it's his plan being played out here. Uh, there's a scene in the TV series of Queen's Gambit, if you've seen it, uh, where the main character plays uh, 12 chess games at one time. Uh, she walks around the room making a move on each of the board as she goes. I'm a pretty anxious guy, so it was a very stressful scene for me. Um, but it's chaotic, right? There's moves going on everywhere, uh, pieces falling left, right and centre, and she has an incredible mind to stay on top of all the games at once. But she manages to win all of them. It's complex, it's intense, but she's in control. That's what Revelation 6 shows us. God remains firmly in control of his world as he brings about his judgment. And so here are two helpful things that we can take away from this part of God's word. Firstly, we can know the comfort that God is in control. We said at the start that we know that we aren't, but thank God that he is in control. God is using the sin and the evil of our world to bring about his plans. Friends, suffering isn't a sign, or when we suffer, it's not a sign that God hates us or he doesn't love us or he's forgotten us. If we're caught up on it, it may hurt, it probably will hurt. But ultimately, we can know that we're eternally safe. Remember, Revelation is written to seven first century churches who are doing it tough in a bunch of different ways. And this part of the Bible reminds them and asks that even though that stuff is messy, God is in control and he's using it for his purposes as he brings about his plan for redemption and salvation for the world. Secondly, we can know that God is a holy God. 
He's a just God that must punish sin. And that's why he judges the world. Uh, Revelation 6 is confronting to us. It's hard because sin is serious and it has horrible consequences. But thank God he's done and he's doing something about it. Part of God's goodness in his character is that he deals with sin. So we can know that God will deal justly with those who have persecuted his church. He will deal with it. But we can also know that through the Lord Jesus and his work on the cross, Jesus has dealt with our sin. He's taken the punishment for our sin. And so whilst we will be caught up in the judgment, we'll be caught in the crossfire, we can know that we will safely pass through it because Jesus has clothed us in white through his death in our place. As we read on into chapter 7, we see this unpacked a little bit further. Uh, in chapter 7, it shows us that God has safely marked out his own people. He's sealed us. He's protected us. He says, they are mine and I will look after them. Let's read from uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Follow along. It says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Now, this seems like a freeze frame. It's a pause. It's a hold on moment. Now, the chaotic mess that we saw in the first six seals is put on hold. Now, God's judgment is put on hold in this moment. Now, John is drawing our attention here to what God is doing in amongst the mess and the brokenness. From verse 3, God uses an angel to say, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. In ancient times, the seal uh, demonstrated ownership and it protected it from tampering. So in sealing his people, God is saying, they are mine and I will protect them. God is saying here that those who have faith in Jesus are mine and I will look after them. Christians won't escape the judgment, but they will and we will make it through. In verse 4, we see the symbolic number of those who have been sealed being 144,000 people of God. And this is where JWs get the idea that there's only limited room in heaven for God's people. But we see here there's actually heaps of room. There's more than enough room. Uh, this isn't a literal number, but it represents the whole and complete number of God's people. A 12 in Revelation represents wholeness and completeness, and a 1,000 represents many. So you do a little bit of math there, which I'm not strong at. Uh, you see in verses 5 to 7 play out uh, that there are 12 tribes of Israel. And so we have the complete number of God's people sealed and protected. These are followers of Jesus from throughout time and history. As we read on, we see that this 144,000 is described in verse 9 as a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. God has gathered up people from all, or his people up from all over the earth. All people groups are mentioned or represented here. They are dressed in white as a symbol of their purity, their blamelessness, their salvation in Jesus. And they're waving palm branches as they praise their victorious king, Jesus, in his triumphant entry. Verse 10, the followers of Jesus cry out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour 
and power and strength to be, uh, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Followers of Jesus praise God because they get to share in Jesus' victory over sin and death. It's because of Jesus that our followers of him have been sealed and protected from the final judgment. It's an incredible scene that's playing out here. In verse 15, we see that those uh, who have stuck with Jesus are those who have come out of the great tribulation. We read they have, been washed, uh, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they, have, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Friends, yes, God is in control of the judgment, but he's also in charge of the grace, mercy, and forgiveness on offer. We see that in verse 15, that those who have stuck with Jesus and come out of the great tribulation, which is referring to the judgment that we talked about earlier, they've been washed white by the blood of Jesus. This is pointing to Jesus' saving work on the cross, which, where he suffered and he died for humanity's sin in their place. Those who have been forgiven by Jesus have been washed white by the blood of the Lamb and enjoy God's presence into eternity, are serving him day and night. This new reality means to them in verse 16 that for followers of Jesus, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not be upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Jesus, as our shepherd, will lead us to life in the full in him. And we will experience a beautiful intimacy and comfort with our God as he wipes away every tear because we will no longer know suffering anymore. Our restoration with God will be complete. We see the seventh and last seal broken in chapter 8 and verse 1 there. And we're probably expecting a big bang here, something awesome, something incredible. But instead there's silence, which heightens the anticipation for what God is going to do next. But what is clear from our passage here is that God has sealed and marked out his own. They are his, having been washed white by the blood of the Lamb. Friends, we are sealed and we are protected. I'm not sure if you've heard the name uh, Graham Staines or if his story is familiar to you. Uh, Graham and his wife, uh, Gladys, were missionaries in India. Uh, Liz and I knew their daughter and met Gladys a few times uh, up in Townsville when we lived up there. Uh, Graham and his wife, uh, Gladys, served those, uh, served those suffering from uh, leprosy uh, in India, in the province of India, and they also did some Bible translation work. Uh, India is a tough place to be a Christian, and it's a tough place to do missionary work. Uh, to this day, India is in the top 10 most pla uh, dangerous places in the world to be a Christian. While they were in India in 99, uh, rumours and liars were spreading about the stains uh, that they were forcing people to convert to Christianity. And so on the 23rd of January, in the early hours of the morning, Graham and his two sons, Timothy and Philip, were sleeping in a car. A group of men attacked them and, and set fire to the car uh, that Graham and the boys were sleeping in, burning them alive. In the days after their death at the funeral, uh, it was striking to all who were there how Gladys carried herself. I'm going to read a little excerpt from the book uh, that was dedicated to Graham and the boys. Uh, here it's speaking about Gladys at the funeral. It says, Throughout the service, she seemed composed and at perfect peace. 
All her life she had taken the living God at his word, implicitly believing his every promise. So indeed, why would this, her greatest trial, be a moment any different? For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It should be up on the screen there. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Gladys knew that no human evil could separate her Graham, Philip and Timothy from their loving God. And that sums up beautifully what our passage has been about today. That same message that was originally for the seven churches who were addressed to in Revelation, which is the same message for churches throughout history, for the Stainses and for us. It reminds us that no matter what happens, we can know that God has sealed and protects his people, having washed us white by the blood of the Lamb. So as we look around and we see the devastation in Ukraine, we see school shootings in our world. Uh, This week we saw a stabbing in a kindergarten. We see widespread support for late-term abortion. We see Christians being killed in North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, among many other places. And we have changing attitudes towards Christianity in our own country. Revelation reminds us that even in the evil and the brokenness, in the suffering of our world, that God remains in control. And that he will bring justice to the world. And friends, we can be sure that God has marked and sealed us. He's protecting his own. Friends, we can know that God's got us. He won't let us go. It will be okay. But things will happen in our lives that will cause us to hurt deeply. But we have an assurance that nothing can separate us. From the love of our God in Jesus. He seals us. He protects us. And so there are two ways that we can respond to a passage like this. Either as unrepentant sinners, knowing God's final judgment awaits us. Or trusting in the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, to wash us white. Knowing that one day every tear will be wiped away as we enjoy God forever. As we close, uh, right back at the start, we heard the mayor of Townsville recognise that we can't control the water, that we're not in control of the world around us. But our passage today has offered us a great comfort and hope in the uncertainty, the evil and the brokenness of our world. We aren't in control, but God is. That no matter what happens, we can know that if we've placed our trust in the Lord Jesus, that he has sealed us. He protects us, having washed us white by the blood of the Lamb.